Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series on the book of Hebrews with this message entitled, A Clear Conscience. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Now, here is our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Heavenly Father, we count it a great privilege to come to your presence. We have come in the name of the Lord. We have come together. And we have prepared our minds to hear your word. Heavenly Father, we pray that you teach us this morning how to get rid of our filthy conscience. How to obtain a good and clear conscience by the application of the blood of Jesus Christ that we may come to the throne of grace with confidence to have wonderful fellowship with you. Teach us, O Lord, how to obtain this clear conscience instantly and eternally for our everlasting happiness. In Jesus' name, amen. We are a church of intense godly emotion. We are saying we are an emotional church, but it is an emotion regulated by an intelligent understanding of the gospel. And therefore, our emotions are subordinated to understanding of God, our gracious God, compassionate God, in his eternal and infallible word. Put it differently, we are a thinking church. We are unashamed of the word of God. I want to speak to you about a clear conscience. See, the people of the world, they have their peculiar problem. The problem today, of course, is global warming. Used to be global cooling. It used to be population explosion. No, sir, the problem of every sinner is a filthy conscience. And so we need to know how to cleanse our conscience. To get a clear conscience, to get rid of real guilt. Oh, people do many things to achieve this. They used to throw their children into the fire called Moloch worship. Hindus used to throw their children into the river to appease a wrathful deity. They strap a bomb belt around and self-destruct and kill infidels in the process. You see people flagellate themselves in religious frenzy. They walk through fiery coal, crucify oneself or being crucified. They live on trees, sleep on hard floors, and practice severe asceticism. Or they give their money, 50 billion or more for philanthropy. 
Let me tell you, none of these and other ways can secure a guilty conscience cleansed. God instituted, we read from today's text, the Levitical priesthood and its bloody sacrifices. Thank God I'm not living <laughs> in the days of this bloody sacrifices. But even God instituted bloody sacrifice did not provide cleansing of filthy consciences. So we read the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer failed, utterly failed to cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. They had a purpose they pointed to, a better sacrifice that would cleanse human filthy conscience. A better sacrifice offered by a better priest, once for all, to God. That is the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If this is so, the author is implying that it would be stupid to go back to Judaism. To that imperfect worship of Judaism, which was only a shadow of good things that came in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, are you a person burdened with a guilty conscience? Then I have good news for you. You can be delivered from the penalty and the power of sin today, instantly and eternally. Why do you carry this crushing load when a way is found for its eternal disposition? So first, let me speak to you that the earthly sanctuary of which the author is speaking was not designed to give us a good conscience and usher us into the intimate presence of God. The tabernacle Moses was ordered to construct consisted of a holy place and an inner room called Holy of Holies. The author calls it an earthy sanctuary, Hagion Cosmicon. But Jesus, of course, ministers in the true heavenly sanctuary of the presence of God. The holy place was furnished on the south side with a seven-branched golden lampstand weighing about 75 pounds of gold. But if you study Solomon's temple, it had 10 lampstands. And on the north side was a table on which 12 loaves of bread were placed on each Sabbath in two rows of six representing the 12 tribes of Israel. On the west side, in front of the second thick veil that barred people from the presence of God, there was the altar of incense. But our author places the altar of incense in the Holy of Holies because, as we read in 1 Kings 6 and verse 22, this furniture the altar of incense really belonged to the Holy of Holies, especially in view of the most important ministry of the high priest, 
of sprinkling the blood of sin offering upon and in front of the mercy seat above the ark. It may be, according to my own view, it may be that on the day of atonement, the altar of incense was moved to the inner room of the Holy of Holies. But all other days, the altar remained in the holy place. I say this is a possibility. The most important furniture was the ark placed in the Holy of Holies, in which the author tells us were the golden jar of manna, the rod of Aaron that budded, and then finally, and especially, the two tablets of the covenant, which contained the moral law, the Ten Commandments. And this ark had a cover, all made of gold, with two cherubim on either side of the cover, with outstretched wings overshadowing this atonement cover, the hilasterion, or mercy seat. In 587, the ark disappeared, and in the second temple, Pompey discovered 63 BC, when he forced his way into it, that there was no ark at all in the Holy of Holies. So says Tacitus, the historian. And God's presence was above this mercy seat. Turn with me to Psalm 80 and verse 1. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth. The mercy seat interposed between the law in the ark and the holy God above it. The picture is that the blood of sin offering sprinkled on the mercy seat comes between the lawbreakers and the holy God, making God propitious and merciful toward us. Thus God forgives our sins on the basis of his own plan of salvation, on the basis of the death of a substitute. Second, the ministry of the priests and the high priest was not designed to make anyone perfect, to cleanse anyone's conscience. Daily, we are told, priests entered into the holy place for services. They saw to it the lambs are dressed, wicks are trimmed, oil poured. So all seven lambs is lit and shining day and night. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus likens the lampstand to local church, which is the light of the world, because Jesus Christ is the light of the world. 
The priests see to it. The altar of incense burns with incense morning and evening. Remember Zechariah the priest. He went into the holy place to do this function. When angel Gabriel appeared to him. The priests also replaced the table of showbread with fresh 12 loaves in two rows of six on each Sabbath day and removed the old holy bread to be eaten by priests and their families. But the high priest, according to Leviticus 16, goes into the Holy of Holies through the thick veil once a year. It was an extremely hazardous and dangerous thing. And it could be the two older sons of Aaron were killed, consumed by the fire from the Holy of Holies because they probably dared to go in. So only the high priest was allowed to go in and only once a year. Tenth day of the seventh month of Tishri. It is called Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Even the high priest had no inherent right to go in, being a sinner. He must go with the blood of sin offering for himself and his household. Blood of a bull. And then again he goes in a second time with the blood of a goat for the sin of the whole people. And we are told that he goes in with a censer full of burning coals and two handfuls of incense burning and the cloud of incense thus covering the mercy seat lest he die. And it was a lonely work. Nobody can assist him. It was hard work for him to offer many sacrifices on the day of atonement. And when he goes in in this prescribed manner, he sprinkles blood of sin offerings upon the mercy seat and in front of it for the forgiveness of sins of ignorance. And this was all designed by God himself. And it was put in force until Jesus Christ came. Leviticus 17 and verse 11 we read, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Of course we know that this bloody sacrifice of animals did not make anyone perfect did not cleanse anyone's conscience, but was pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ offered to God on the cross. It is that sacrifice and that alone, when trusted, will cleanse your conscience instantly and eternally for your eternal happiness. The author of Hebrews teaches that all the blood of the animals, rivers of blood, 
though ineffectual in making atonement for our sins. The sacrificial system taught salvation through the sacrifice of another, even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. The ministry of the Levitical priests in the earthly sanctuary, therefore, did not result in cleansing of conscience. It did not make human beings perfect, that is justified, to appear before God. People were not made able to go into the Holy of Holies. The thick veil was there. Worship God at a distance because she was sinful. They still had to worship God from a distance. Their consciences were not cleansed to approach a holy God. The system was incapable of perfecting the conscience of the worshiper. So we read in chapter 9 and verse 9. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. And verse 8 we are told what this system was teaching. And so we read here, the Holy Spirit was showing, revealing, teaching by this, that the way into the most holy place had not yet been opened up, disclosed, as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. The Levitical system was put in force by God only until the time of reformation we are told in verse 10 when God will set everything straight by the sacrifice of his son on the cross in other words it was set in force until the sacrifice of Jesus Christ our Messiah yes there were some benefits through this system Levitical system cleansed the sinner outwardly, physically, and socially. When you abide by the system, they were not cut off from the people and covenant community as long as they participated in the sacrificial system of worship. The Old Testament believers who were saved, were saved by their faith in the coming Messiah, which the sacrificial system certainly pointed to and foreshadowed. And so we read in John 8 verse 56, Jesus himself says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, and he saw it and was glad. He saw it by faith. So also Moses, turn with me to Hebrews 11, verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, these believers in the Old Testament saw that the sacrificial system was pointing to the Messiah to come and make that effectual and justifying sacrifice. Turn to chapter 11 of Hebrews, 
Let me read the faith of these Old Testament saints. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. They did not trust in the things of this earth. Or verse 16, instead they were longing for a better country. The kingdom of God, the unshakable kingdom of God. A heavenly one, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So the Old Testament people lived by faith in the sacrifice of the Messiah who would come and die in their place. They looked forward to the justifying and conscience cleansing sacrifice of the promised Messiah. So the author tells us that the Levitical sacrificial system, look at verse 9, was a parable, parable, an illustration, an example of the time of the new covenant and the sacrifice of the new covenant. It was a signpost and not reality itself. They pointed to good things that came with Jesus Christ. Verse 11. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here. Which includes a good conscience. So third. It is the person and the work of Jesus Christ alone. He's able to give us a good conscience. Able to cleanse our conscience from the guilt and hell. Only the blood of Christ can cleanse our filthy, guilty conscience. Professor Philip Hughes, he was a professor at Westminster, and he tells this about conscience. The conscience is properly man's inner knowledge of himself, especially in the sense of his answerability, of his motives and actions, in view of the fact that he, as a creature made in the image of God, stands before and must give an account of himself to his creator. As a sinner who has failed to keep the loving standard of God's law, he has an inner consciousness of his guilt and of his need for cleansing and restoration. The Levitical ceremonial was incompetent to provide that perfection of reconciliation that completeness of justification before God, which the sinner so radically needed. But the author of this letter experienced cleansing of his conscience. We read 13th chapter, verse 18. 
pray for us, we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. A clear conscience which Levitical priesthood failed to accomplish. But we read in verse 14 of chapter 9, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences. Brothers and sisters, friends, our problem is not global warming. Our problem is the problem of a filthy conscience. A consciousness of our own filth before God. Heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Out of the heart, Jesus said, comes sexual immorality, thievery, adultery, and, and so on. Mark 7, 21 through 23. We need a clean heart. A new heart, a heart of flesh that delights in God's law to do them and discover our happiness in doing them. We need something better than the blood of bulls and goats for the purgation of our filthy conscience. Thank God for his own plan of our salvation through the blood shedding of another. That is through the death of another. He sees the blood shed on the mercy seat and forgives us sinners who broke his holy law. St. Paul therefore describes Jesus Christ himself as the mercy seat upon which the blood is shed. So he tells us in Romans 3 and verse 25, God presented him, that is Jesus Christ, his only son, as a sacrifice of atonement, hilasterion, as mercy seat, upon which the blood of Jesus was sprinkled to atone for our sins. And God did this to demonstrate his justice, and that he may justify us sinners who trust in Jesus Christ. Even so, the author of Hebrews tells us of Christ's sacrifice and its multitude of benefits. Look at chapter 9, verse 11. When Christ came, Christos came. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here. Friends, Jesus Christ has prepared for us a feast of good things. He entered the heavenly sanctuary, the true tabernacle, the heavenly most holy place of God's presence as our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Having obtained eternal redemption by his blood, verse 12. He paid the price of his death. He shed his blood. That was the price he paid to redeem us from our slavery to sin and Satan. He bought us 
He bought us out of sin and Satan. Turn with me to chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He, by his blood shedding, by his death, in our place, he set us free forever by his one sacrifice, once for all offered. And he has cleared and cleansed our conscience by the blood of Christ. No other way one can obtain a clear conscience. If the blood of Animals cleared, cleansed the people externally. How much more? A fortiori argument. Stronger argument. How much more? He uses this several times. How much more? The blood of Christ cleanses our conscience from all the guilt of our sins. We are living in the day of fulfillment of God's promise of salvation. So we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The old system has been made obsolete Chapter 8, verse 13. When Christ came and sacrificed himself in our place on the cross. Let's look at a few things that we read from the core of his argument found in verse 11 through 14. First, Christos, Christ came. Speaking about the incarnation, life and death, resurrection and so on. Christos means Messiah, anointed one. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. The anointed Savior has come. And we look back 2,000 years ago. He came to fulfill the promise of salvation. Second, he is the high priest, we are told. High priest, not after the order of but after a new order, the order of Melchizedek, on the basis of indestructible life. And he is also the perfect victim. He is the high priest, but he is also the victim. He did not take the blood of another. The sacrifice he offered was unblemished. Amomon, verse 14, unblemished, spotless. And we read about Jesus, sinless Jesus, 415, 726, 5, 8, and 9, and 914. Sinless high priest and sinless victim. A sinlessness of acquired obedience. And then we are told he offered himself, not an animal, 
He offered himself, that means on the cross, he was active. He was offering himself as sacrifice to God in the place of us. And chapter 7 verse 27 says, he offered himself once for all. No repetition necessary. Effectual forever. This one sacrifice. Also he offered himself spotless once for all. Voluntarily. Rationally. Not for himself. But for us. And in our place. Because he loved me. And gave himself for me. Says St. Paul. And he tells us Christ loved the church. And gave himself for the church. And in John 10 verse 17. He speaks about. I will lay down my life. For the sheep as a good shepherd. He offered himself spotless once for all. By the power of the eternal Holy Spirit. In other words, all three persons of the Godhead were involved in this great salvation work. And so the text says, verse 14, sacrifice was offered to God. To propitiate God's wrath against us, the sinless Son of God interposed between God and sinners. And the Father smote him in our place. And the Son submitted to this smiting. Christ died for our sins. He suffered God's wrath. And the Holy Spirit sustained him in this suffering. As the Messiah was sustained by the Spirit in all his ministry. And we are told that he obtained eternal redemption for us. Verse 12. Infinite superiority and eternal worth of his person and sacrifice. His work is finished. He said it is finished. Finished forever. Finished to the satisfaction of God the Father. The eternal son obtained for us everlasting redemption. Everlasting freedom from all bondages. If the son sets you free, you are truly free. Free from sin and guilt and hell. The blood of Christ cleanses our conscience. Brothers and sisters, the blood of Christ alone is God's answer to an accusing conscience and an accusing devil. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. No other cleansing agent in the whole world. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ alone cleanses the filthy consciences of Jews and Gentiles. It alone is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Chapter 9 verse 9 says the Levitical system was not able to make human conscience clean. But verse 14 of chapter 9 tells that 
the sacrifice of Christ is able, is able to make us all clean. Turn to chapter 7 verse 25. Therefore he is able, Jesus Christ, to save us completely forever. To cleanse our conscience means to clear conscience of guilt. A forensic declarative act, says Gilhardus Voss of Princeton. God pronounces that we are clean on the basis of the alien righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is not something happening within, but it is declaratory, legal, forensic. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. God made Christ for us to be wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. The moment you trust in him. Instantly and eternally saved, cleansed, freed. The shepherd of Christ alone clears the guilty. And God the Father on the basis of the blood of Christ declares you to be just. Christ's blood removed the guilt of sin which hindered us from coming to God and worship him in his presence. His blood procured purification for our sins. Shed blood of Christ is the basis of our justification and sanctification and glorification. Chapter 10 verse 14. Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. The sacrifice of Christ cleanses our conscience. We are told from dead works. The works we did while sinners. Dead works of which we must repent. Chapter 6 and verse 1. Dead works are our sins that lead us into everlasting ruin and death. Because the soul that sins, it shall die. But a believer in Christ's sacrifice is justified and obtains a clear conscience. Brothers and sisters, there are many good things we have in Jesus Christ. It's a great feast of good things. First is the forgiveness of sins. Chapter 8 and verse 12 and, and other places. Justification. Chapter 10 verse 14. Sanctification. Chapter 10 verse 14. Fellowship with the God. We are told repeatedly, draw near, draw near. The thick veil that barred you from the presence of God has been torn, removed. Trust in Christ and his sacrifice. Come with confidence, with boldness into the very presence of God. To find mercy and to receive grace in time of need. Good thing, sir. We enjoy fellowship. Sir, we are an emotional people. We rejoice because of this great understanding of the gospel and our salvation. It is a feast. We come to eat and drink and praise and rejoice in the presence of this God and Savior. It 
gives us good conscience 9 verse 14 it gives us knowledge of God chapter 8 verse 11 it gives us guarantee of our salvation chapter 7 verse 25 it gives us victory over Satan chapter 2 verse 14 and 15 he delivers us from the fear of death sir when that hour comes we go to the presence of God great peace sir and finally let me tell you this Jesus Christ in the presence of God he is interceding for us effectually and continually and finally we are told what is the purpose of this clear conscience why did God forgive us why did God save us why did God bring us to his presence notice the last clause of verse 14 to serve the living God all our lives brothers and sisters if you want to know a definition for happiness it is this to serve the living God now we are royal priests the veil that barred us from God is taken away by Christ we now come with boldness of God conscience to worship God and offer spiritual sacrifices and so we have said your royal priest we have sacrifice to give present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service we are royal priests Peter says first Peter 2 5 and 9 and in this chapter chapter 13 let me read to you the picture that we are priests verse 15 and 16 through Jesus therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise we have a sacrifice to offer we are priests the fruit of lips that confess his name and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices God is pleased and look at chapter 12 verse 22 but you have come to Mount Zion to the heavenly Jerusalem the city of the living God hallelujah 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 read on we serve God all our life whether we eat or drink or whatever we do we are told do it all for the glory of God and for your eternal happiness sir there is joy in serving Jesus and then when we look at Revelation chapter 22 here is the final fulfillment of this serving in chapter 22 verse 3 no longer will there be any curse the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and all his servants the same word will serve him that's what life is designed to serve God by us redeemed creatures it is the definition of pure unadulterated everlasting happiness Westcott says purity is not the end but the means of the new life the goal of the restored fellowship is energetic service to him who alone lives and gives life so I say the purpose of redemption is not autonomy, nor antinomianism, nor the evil of independence. You read recently, First Corinthians, let me read it to you, the last verse 
in light of this salvation, in light of Christ's resurrection from the dead. He says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. John Calvin tells us we are not cleansed by Christ so that we can immerse ourselves continually in fresh dirt. But in order that our purity may serve the glory of God. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 22. Let me tell you this. I have seen this. I have seen people doing this. Those who claim to have been saved only to sin the more. Unlike dogs and pigs. Chapter 2 of Second Peter verse 22. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit. And a saw that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Don't ever say Jesus saved you. He didn't save you. He saved to serve. The true and the living God. All have sinned. All have filthy conscience. And they are cut off from God. But thank God Christ has come. Jesus died for our sins. So you can now instantly and eternally be cleansed. Of all guilt. To serve God. In utter happiness. On the basis of this sacrifice. And if you are living under the crushing load of a guilty conscience. Understand today there is no other agent to cleanse it. Repent now. Confess now. Believe now. And call upon the name of God. And the Bible guarantees you'll be saved. And serve God and begin to learn what it means to be happy in Jesus. Heavenly Father, we pray for all of us and especially those who indicated the need of a good conscience. Save them, help them, give them a cleansed conscience. Hallelujah. Enable them, O Lord, to taste happiness everlasting. Through Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio with the continuing Bible series on the book of Hebrews of this message entitled, A Clear Conscience. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.